Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. All right, here's what's going on today. I can hardly wait. Uh, Greg Morse is going to be on the program. He's a columnist with Desiring God. He's uh, a graduate of Bethlehem College and Seminary, and he's going to talk about how God delights in you. He loves you and he likes you. That's good news. And then Dr. Jeff Myers is going to come on the program in hour one. He's written a new book called Unanswered Questions, Rethinking 10 Christian Clichés to Rediscover biblical truth. Really like Jeff as well. So that's the first hour. Make sure you mark your calendars uh, for uh, coming up March 26th. It's going to be a event here on the campus, a live taping of the show. It's going to start at 7 p.m. Go to myfaithradio.com. Get a seat before they run out because they're going to go fast. Take a short break and bring on Greg. We live in a connected world, but no advancement in technology can offer real peace, hope, or encouragement. You can use technology to stay connected to the true source of life, God, when you download the free Faith Radio Network app. The app allows you to listen to previously aired programs, read articles, and listen to the live stream. Search for Faith Radio Network in your app store to download the free Faith Radio Network app today. Connecting faith to life every day. He's on the inside of me, guiding me, leading me, helping me, strengthening me, healing me, caring for me, providing for me, answering my prayers, doing everything he said he would do. That's where he is. Faith Radio. All right, it is my lucky day because I have in studio Greg Morris. He's a staff writer for DesiringGod.org and graduate of Bethlehem College and Seminary and uh, lives here in the Twin Cities with his uh, beautiful wife, Abigail, and his daughter, who turns five months today. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. Yeah, I've been such a fan of your writing for so long, and I know that you know and know well the Blooms, John and Pam Bloom, and they're a regular guest on the show. And I've been always uh, saying to Rebecca, let's get Greg on the show and... You're a hard guy to get a hold of. I am. I'm what C.S. Lewis, I guess, would call a dinosaur. <laughs> I really struggle with email and yeah. text messages and all these things. But yeah, but here we are. Here we, we are. So this is exciting work. for me, and I know the listeners will be uh, awfully glad to meet you. Uh, would you just mind taking a couple minutes and, and sharing your faith story? Sure. Yeah. Grew up uh, in St. Paul. Grew up in a, um, say, nominally Christian household. Yeah. Where morality was was the big thing. I didn't really understand what it meant for Jesus to die for his people, for sins. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that I did some bad things here and there, uh, lived, lived. All I knew really about God was that he humbled the proud. Yeah. So growing up and playing sports, I was always very fearful of being proud. So that's pretty much the only, one of the only true things I really knew about God was that he was a God who humbled 
those who exalted themselves. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really understand the compassion, the love of God. I did not understand uh, atonement and that Jesus would die for sinners. I didn't understand that. Uh, but just went and tried to live a good life, tried to be a good person, tried to please my mom. Yeah. <laughs> and so then in college, I actually came to faith when the Lord humbled me. He destroyed. He removed different things I had my hope in one by one sequentially. Mm -hmm. And I was very, very unhappy. And I heard a a voice in my head that said, go read your Bible. Wow. And to this point, I had never read my Bible. My Bible was collecting dust mm -hmm. on the shelf. And so I go, uh, go down one evening and I audibly say to the Lord, I say, God, if this book has nothing to do with me, I'm done. I'm done trying to live the Christian morality. And when I opened up the scriptures, have you seen, have you seen Lord of the Rings? I have not. You have not I'm seen the only Lord guy that hasn't seen it. There's an, an end part where this guy has these just arrows hit one after another into his chest. Mm -hmm. So that was me. Uh, the scripture is is a sword, and it just pierced me. And from then on, I, I understood and, and was began my uh, journey of, of knowing who this God is that gave his life for me mm -hmm. and understanding that my sin is an offense against God. And so just... From then on, reading the Bible, and I got plugged in with a, a local church here and sat under the preaching of the Word, and God really blessed me during that time with a couple brothers who were really uh, serious about the Word and uh, were able to mentoring. really help me. Yeah, yeah. discipleship. Discipleship. Yeah. I, I love it. So yeah. when you were in college, what did you think you were building your identity on? What was What was collapsing? I mean, because oh, you're sure. obviously uh, tall. You're six six. Six six. And I'm six six minus seven That's inches, right. so we're about the same height. That's right. Yeah. Um, and you are probably an athlete, probably Played. competitive athlete. Competitive. So I was quarterback of the there, football team. There you go. And you look quarterback like quarterback of the football team. You look like a GQ model. So you got a lot of stuff going for you. I had I had some things going for me. I had I was putting my identity in a relationship that I had with okay. a young woman. Okay. Putting my relationship in academic success which I was not having my freshman year of college. Okay. Uh, in athletic prowess. Yep. I uh, was not taught how to play football or how to read defenses as a quarterback in high school. It was go out there and, and throw it really far <laughs> and <laughs> run around and try to yeah. be, try to be athletic. Touchdowns. Yeah, right. right. And so now this just was a huge, uh, a huge difference for me. And so I really had to adjust to it. Yeah. And it was really difficult. And then trying to, and there's just new new temptations, new things to to pursue, and yeah. and so trying to say no to those things, and um, so yeah, just a lot of identity in academics, in a relationship that I had, and then in uh, in athletics, were yeah. the three things that were, and, for, and just being a good person, of course, yeah, and that you you learned that in your family, didn't you? Yeah, of course, my yeah. my, my mother was world's best person, exactly, yeah. And so I wanted to be just like her. And yeah. so I knew there were evidently places where I didn't do that, but I was, that's why you went to church. Yeah. To kind of get clean and, and then try to be better the next week. Do you remember the day? Do you remember the defining moment? Do you remember the verse that came into your head and heart that said, oh, this is life changing? I remember I was just kind of doing the, the magic eight ball okay. at that point because I'd never read the Bible before. Yep. So I flipped over into a psalm or two. Uh, a text from Galatians, text from Romans. Okay. So I don't 
remember specifically which yeah which texts they were. Yeah. But, uh, I remember the topic, <laughs> and I remember that this was incredibly relevant to me. There was a text actually in in, uh, in Kings where Elijah is confronting uh, Israel, and he says, "How how long are you going to be limping between two opinions? Yeah. If God is God, follow Him. Yeah. So that was a, a key verse. For me. Beautiful. If God is God, follow Him. Right. Um, and so from then on, it was like, yes, God is God is God. He is. He is. And that has to mean something. So powerful. More than just, I should try to be a good person or um, I should try to kind of have him be a, a hobby of sorts. Mm-hmm. So. so how did it go over with the family when Greg becomes a Christian? Oh, man. Uh, my mother was ecstatic. Oh, I bet. She was ecstatic. I bet she prayed for a long time, didn't she? She prayed for a long time. Yeah. And I think it was really, it was a wave that had a lot of um, benefit for my family as well. Mm-hmm. Once they saw, and I'd say I was born again yeah. in, in that dorm room with my Bible uh, that, that evening, yeah. just to see the, the renewed or the new hunger, the new seriousness, the, the new uh, energy, the animation mm-hmm. that came in a pursuit of God, a, a hunger to, to know him. Yeah, and the hunger is so real, Greg, because... God's word is so life-giving. Oh my gosh. It's yes. so life-giving. Yes. You can't get enough of it, mm-hmm. right? Yes. <laughs> and you write about it so beautifully. And if you have never read any of Greg's work, you need to head over to desiringgod.org. Greg Morse is my guest. And well, one of the recent articles, well, it was like last summer, so it wasn't super recent, but um, you wrote a article on why God delights to love you. I don't, I think given what we're all going through right now in the world, it's nice to hear uh, that God loves us and is thinking about us and cares about us and we are under his sovereign lo- love and care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with, during, during a lot of those years where I would say I was a, a Christian, wasn't born again, didn't, didn't know what sin was, I would say it wasn't new to me that God loved me. Like I, I had heard those words given in that way before. But it never it never occurred to me that God through his son would delight mm. in me. So I kind of had what looking back on it is kind of a, a a deist deistic view of God where um God kind of winds up the world like a clock and just kind of lets it go. But he's not really in a day-to-day. He doesn't really observe me. He doesn't really know me. He's not really near. He doesn't know my thoughts. He doesn't know my heart. Uh, he is going to, to be there to make me, and then at the end of time, he'll judge me and, and look at my, my rap sheet and see yeah. <laughs> how, how bad was I. Yeah. Uh, but to, to know that God loves me in his son and then that he actually likes me, <laughs> that he actually delights and rejoices in me. Uh, Texts like Isaiah 62 come to mind. Uh, For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. That's so powerful. Beautiful. That God would rejoice over his people. He He doesn't just commit to bring you into heaven 
and put you in some secluded rainforest in heaven and just get you out of hell and and put you there. Jesus in the gospel says, I can't wait to bring you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I'm going to take a little break. Greg Morse is my guest. He's a a writer at Desiring God. You can head over to DesiringGod.org to learn more about him and his writing. Just Google his name and head right over to, once again, DesiringGod.org. We'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have in studio Greg Morse. He's a staff writer at DesiringGod.org. We love that website, and we love all the books and sermons and topics and podcasts and everything else that's on that website. So after you've gone to MyFaithRadio.com and been there for a long time, you have permission to go to DesiringGod.org. I just have to say that. Yep. Yeah. And uh, we're talking to uh, Greg today about uh, the way that God delights to love you. I, I think it's just such... Uh, strong, powerful uh, reminder that God not only loves us, but likes us. And I can't hear that enough times, Greg. I I agree. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. So when I, when I wrote this article, it was mainly for myself Oh, to remind myself that um, in, in Christ, if I'm, if I'm his, that Jesus didn't save me begrudgingly, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross mm-hmm. and I was, a thought in his mind, a part of that joy. Um, so God went through deserts. He traveled, traversed deserts of wrath to win a bride. Like all the fairy tale stories right. <laughs> that we love. Yeah. Uh, that sense of happily ever after that we all enjoy so much is reality in Christ. And so I just, I struggle at times to think that God is committed but begrudging to care for me when, uh, again, texts like Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. <laughs> What's it like to hear God sing over you? It's, it's amazing. Sometimes we think of God as either an angry boss or a father that we can't please. Right, right. That's not the description we get in Scripture, is right. it? Right. When, when, you, when he sees his people and on Judgment Day, what does he say? He says, well done. <laughs> well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done. A perfect God says, well done mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to imperfect Christians, people who trusted in his son. It's amazing. And so I, I uh, God, God ha- reminds us over and over and over in his, in his word. I just was just reading through Romans uh, the other day, and Paul starts out the letter and says, to those who are loved by God and called to be saints, to those who are loved by God. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a defining characteristic of how they should consider their identity is I am somebody who is loved by God. <laughs> that, should, uh, that should make you wake up in the morning yeah. excited that with all the things, all the sanctification that I still have left, with all the, the failures and the mistakes and the things I still see in my life, 
with all the, the disappointments and all the transitions that I'm going through, that God would love us. Um, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ would die for us. <laughs> and so I feel like we, and, I, and this is a temptation for myself, is that we need, to clean, we need to get our act right before God should love us. Yeah. Instead of God loves us in his son while right. we were not getting our act right. Right. And then now he cleans us up. And so, yes, we should care about <laughs> holiness. We should care about sanctification. We must care about those things. Yeah. But it's not to make God for us. God has, dis- has acted decisively in his son to make God for us. And now we live from that smile. Mm-hmm. We live from that. So he's not cross-armed in heaven saying, what can you do for me today? Are you going to clean that part of your life up today? And it's that joy that empowers the Christian. Uh, when, when the Christian gets the Holy Spirit, for example, in Romans 5, uh, he pours out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. <laughs> that is astonishing. He pours astonishing. out his love into your heart through yeah. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, and so that, that is living in that, that embrace, living from that smile, is such an empowering thing when you go to kill that sin, when you go to uh, find joy in that day. And so I feel like there's just so much of our inheritance as believers in the risen Lord mm-hmm. uh, that that Satan tries to steal from us. Yeah. <laughs> I love what you just said, Greg, about hating the sin. Oftentimes I hear people who feel like they hate themselves, but they don't hate their sin. Mm-hmm. And that's got that backwards. You should hate the sin, love yourself. Right. Lo- yeah, I, I will love myself in who Christ has made me. Exactly. Because of my identity in him. Right. That's what I love, who he's made me to be. It's incredible over and over and over that uh, Paul begins his letters, for example, even in, in, go back to Romans, uh, to those who are loved by God and called to be saints. Mm -hmm. Called to be saints. That that word means uh, called to be holy ones. Beloved, you are a royal priesthood, a... Uh, a chosen people. These are these are grand identities. Paul is very, 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 very concerned, and he's going to affirm and reaffirm and reaffirm and reaffirm, even to churches <laughs> that have a lot of issues in them. That you are new. Mm-hmm. That you are new. That you are a new creation. Live in, into that new creation. In Ephesians, uh, he says, um, "You are children, children of light." Did you wake up, Bill, this morning thinking? I'm a child of light. I did not. Did not. But I need to tomorrow. But what, what would it be like to wake up tomorrow morning and say, uh, I'm a child of light in Christ. I'm a child of light. And then it says, walk as children of light. Mm-hmm. So the identity precedes the, the action. It's the living from that. And uh, another one is in Corinthians where it's, uh, you are unleavened. Now, now be unleavened. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you are holy in Christ. Now be holy. Right. Right. And so the power to live a godly life, to live a life um, that God commands us to is not from a I'm going I need to do this to be accepted by God, but I am accepted by God. Therefore, I can do it. Right. By the power of the spirit. And so getting those things right is so vital. It's critical to have your thinking uh, correct. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Greg, there's a lot of listeners I know that struggle with this idea that will have a hard time connecting these dots that God delights in them and likes them. 
there's a lot of listeners that go, Ooh, I hope I'm not uh, mm-hmm. making God too mad today. Right. And I feel like he might be disapproving of uh, me. And that's just not the case. Once you're born again, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Right. Yes. So for those who are, who are in Christ, truly, um, one thing that has been very, very helpful for me on those days is to go to where God has manifested, displayed, showed for all time his love for his people. Mm-hmm. And he created a monument on a top of a hill 2,000 years ago yeah. in Jerusalem or outside of the gates. Going to Calvary and seeing this God, this God-man, who is, uh, Isaiah tells us, who is beaten beyond human semblance. I know. Beaten beyond human semblance, who is bearing the wrath of God, mm-hmm. who is mocked, who is abandoned, who is forsaken. Uh, this is... This is where we see this, the love of God displayed, not the mirror, right? So God doesn't say, hey, here's a mirror. <clears throat> Go look at it this morning and see what you can find in it that is extremely lovely that will make God love you. <laughs> that, is not, that is not what he gives us. He gives right. us a bleeding God. Yes. He gives us his son yes. who he did not spare. He gives us a son who for the joy that was set before, willingly did this. Nobody forced him to adopt a people. Nobody forced him to come down and die for, nobody forced the the crown of thorns upon his head. Nobody forced the the nails into his wrists and his feet. Nobody forced the the scourge and and him drinking down the cup of wrath. Nobody Mm. forced these things upon him. He laid down his life for the sheep. No one, he's a, he makes it very clear, nobody's taking my life from me. Nobody's doing this. I do this. And, and John has this beautiful phrase uh, to begin where he's narrating this, this uh, passion event. And he says, um, Jesus, having loved them, he loved them to the end. Jesus, having loved those in the world who were his own, he loved them to the end. This is not a love that stops short. He didn't stop short before the cross. He didn't, he didn't write us poetry. He didn't write his love in the sky. Mm-hmm. He came and he bled. The display of his love was rated R, and it is for all who would trust in him. And so that's where when I wake up in the morning and I'm like, man, I know my faults. And God knows my faults better than I know my faults. Yeah. I get to go. I get invited again to where God has taking care of my faults and separated my sin as far as the East is from the West and shows me the, the son of God crucified for me. Oh, Greg, the love of the Lord is just bursting out of your, your heart. And thank you so much for sharing that. I think every listener is happy to know that God is delighted in you and he likes you and loves you by the way. So uh, Greg Morris has been my guest. Go to desiringgod.org. His last name is spelled M O R S E. Greg Morse has been my guest. Greg, thanks for coming in. Thank you very much for having me. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back.
So I have a list of guests that uh, are when can we get him back or when can we get her back. And my guest, uh, Dr. Jeff Myers, is on that short list. Uh, you know, we've all heard uh, Christian cliches. We hear them all the time, like, just have faith, and it's not my place to judge, and Jesus was a social justice warrior, and he has uh, done a great job of writing a new book called Unquestioned Answers, Rethinking 10 Christian Cliches to Rediscover Biblical Truths. We're going to talk about it today. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Hey, Bill. Great to be back on the show with you. It's really nice, and I, I actually love this book that you've written. Thank you for doing it. I am happy to do it. You know, as we talked about before, uh, what I want is a renaissance of the Christian mind so that we can have a revival of Christian leadership in our nation. Yeah. Now, this book will cause some problems, won't it? This is going to frustrate people if they're anything like me, because (laughs) (laughs) as I wrote the book, I thought, I'm going to tackle those cliches that I hear over and over again that that keep our thinking at a shallow level. And as I went through the book, I thought, I'm so frustrated because I have found myself using these cliches as mental shortcuts. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, so I coined a term for the book, simplicism, that is not sim- the joy of simplicity, which is you know, having a, having a well-balanced lifestyle, but the idea that something is more true if it can be stated in a bumper sticker fashion. That has been so much of the way people think in the church, and I have a feeling this book is going to really frustrate people who think that if you can say something in a clever fashion that somehow it's more true. Well, you've done a great job of compiling a list of kind of the top 10. And I would love just to dig into one of them and let the listeners, uh, you know, hear you treat one of these. Like number one said, God said, I believe it. That settles it for me. Right. Okay. So here's, here's the, what's, what's wrong with these cliches like that one isn't even so much that they're untrue but that they keep our thinking at a shallow level. Mm -hmm. When I say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it for me, I'm really not even making it about God's Word, am I? I'm making it about me. (laughs) It settles it for me. Mm -hmm. You know, we we sing songs, God is so good, God is so good, God is so good to me. And we tend to make ourselves, rather than God, the focus of our faith. So it's true if it feels true, or it's true if it seems true to me. And, and the, what's so sad about that, Bill, and, and this, by the way, that came from when I was a little kid, and I was in, sitting in a sermon, and the pastor made some kind of point that I think he thought was a very strong point, and he looked out and must have seen people in the audience looking skeptical, and he just held up his Bible and said, if you don't believe it, don't take it up with me. Your problem is with God, you know, and 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 I thought, man, what a what am I missing here that 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 he seems to be so confident about? And I realized that it wasn't so much that I disagreed that the Bible was true, it's that I just I, I didn't. I didn't think that God wants us to just take it at face value without digging in. Mm-hmm. You know, right? When I, you you talk about this all of the time, we are to have the mind of Christ. We are to 
study to show ourselves approved. The Bible is the one religious book that I have ever studied in the whole history of the world that does not expect you to take it for granted, but insists that you test it to see if it's true. And I love that, Jeff. And I was saying this earlier in the show, uh, God's Word is so life-giving. Why would we do a little shortcut uh, with a cliche instead of going and doing the deep work, which is so life-giving? Well, you know, in the, in the deep work, I, I, I like to scuba dive and different things and, you know, fish and all of that, but we're called to be fishers of men. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have never been fishing yet when the fish came to the surface to seek me out. I had to put the hook in and go deep down to get them. And so if we keep our faith at a shallow level, it's not, it's, we're not reaching other people because they're interested in our bumper sticker responses. People's questions are tough and they're big. And they're based on real problems that they've had in a real life. And they don't want to just be dismissed with some kind of a cliche. Yeah, see, Jeff, when I think of you fishing, I, I see you just grabbing the fish out of the water in a barehanded sort of way. <laughs> That's how I picture you. Uh, well, you know, I, I I lived in Tennessee for 14 years, and I had friends who fished that way. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> little little cheese whiz on their fingers, and they'll oh. get the catfish. <laughs> uh, it's a good way to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why are we so quick to want to accept these cliches? I mean, I, I know that we we just – I know you've kind of answered that, but I feel like I, I want a little bit more. Well, I, I think I think the reason we accept the cliches is because it makes it seem as if the question is closed. Okay. Okay. So I, I live in Manitou Springs, Colorado. It's a little it's the little hippie town right at the foot of Pikes Peak. Bumper stickers are a big thing in my town. There are some cars that I just drove by coming back to the office to do this interview that I could swear are held together by the bumper stickers. There's no, there may not even be a car anymore uh-huh. underneath. All bumper stickers. Hashtag resist. You can't hug a child with nuclear arms. Right. You know, right on down the line. And, and what usually happens is somebody puts a bumper sticker on the car as if to say, so there, that issue is no longer under discussion. And it's, it's settled, and if you don't believe it, it's because you're not that bright. Mm-hmm. That is why, because it allows us to feel self-righteous about our faith rather than to really try to engage people who don't believe so we can reach them for Christ. And that's what this book is, this, that's what Unquestioned Answers is really all about. How do I... How do I go below the surface of those cliches to where the really cool stuff is that starts amazing conversations and really changes lives? Yeah. All right. How about this one, Jeff? Just have faith. You know, it's a fascinating one when I looked at it because I have used that even up until the time of writing this book. <laughs> I, would, I would use that phrase, have faith, uh-huh. or uh, does a person have faith or does a person not have faith? So I went back through Scripture, and you know how embarrassing it is when you really study something closely. The Bible never tells us to have faith. The Bible tells us to live out our faith. There's only one passage where I could find where Jesus said, have faith. And when you look at the Greek behind it, what he's saying is have faith in God, not have faith in yourself. So... 
the idea of faith that we that when we say have faith, we essentially grant the old thing from Mark Twain, you know, that faith is believing what you know ain't so. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of believers who believe that. In fact, I was speaking in a church one time. I thought, I need to bring up this point. And I said, well, Mark Twain said, faith is believing what you know ain't so. And and somebody from the audience, I could, I mean, this, is, this literally happened, shouted, amen. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I just stopped and thought, okay, <laughs> what do I do now? But I said, okay, before we get too excited about that idea, think of what he just said that something is not true, but I can trust myself to make myself believe it because my belief ability is strong. I'm taking everything about faith, and I'm making it about me. And Jeff, it makes no sense to have faith in faith. You have to have faith that goes somewhere, that you have to place your faith somewhere. What makes my faith valuable is not that I have it, but that the object of my faith is worthy. It's not about me and whether my beliefing ability is strong. It's about whether God really is who he says he is in Scripture. Mm-hmm. All right, Jeff, let's talk about simplicism. You know, what is it and how is it different than simplicity? Well, simplicity is the value of a life that's balanced. But simplicism is when we come to believe that if something can be stated in a uh, in a simple fashion, that somehow the issue is therefore settled. Okay. Okay. So I, um, I use an example in the book of I went to I went to a conference and there's a speaker there who uh, speaks in I don't know the term my English professor in college used was aphorism. I don't know if anybody else ever uses that word, but you know the idea of speaking in little couplets mm-hmm. that kind of have a rhythmic quality to them. And and you hear Christians do this a lot, and people in the audience go, ooh, ah, ooh, that's so good. And then they scramble to write it down on a piece of paper or something because they, oh, yeah, that's so good. I want to remember that. I don't have to think about that anymore because that one statement settles it. And that's where the problem is. If a Christian speaker ends up making us feel like we don't have to think about something anymore, they've done exactly the opposite of what God wants from us, which is that we will think more deeply about everything, everywhere, all of the time, because we believe in Jesus. Jesus is not just our Savior. He offers us a framework for understanding all of reality. Mm-hmm. All right, Jeff, here's another one that I know is going to get a lot of attention. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Right. It, this is one of those where you think, okay, it's this is not so bad because it's wrong, but because it leaves people with the wrong perception. When Does God hate sin? Yes. Does God love the sinner? Yes. So what's the problem? The problem is this. When I say, love the sinner, hate the sin, I am to a non-believer saying, your sin is worse for you than mine is for me. Mm. That what you struggle with whatever it is, same-sex attraction, or it's usually the context of that kind of a statement, um, is worse than my gossiping or my greediness or my covetousness or whatever else that I, that I deal with. So if we understand sin from God's perspective, we realize that our position is never one of 
being able to look self-righteously on the sins of someone else. We're all always in a position of essentially having plunged headlong over a cliff on our way to our death, only to find ourselves in the strong grip of the only one who can save us. We're all in that position. So to say, love the sinner, hate the sin, comes across to non-believers as not statement of somebody who realizes the extent of his salvation, but someone who thinks that he's actually pretty good compared to me. Mm. And it's a huge turnoff for people outside of the church. Yeah, that's so spot on. And there's that self-righteousness that uh, non-believers feel coming from us, like we're on some superior ground. Yeah, right. That's right. And it's, it's, by the way, it's not just Christian believers who can be self-righteous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, anybody can be self-righteous. The point is that I think Jesus' followers should lead the way and say, you know, it's probably not that simple in your life, is it? It's probably not something where I can fix it with a sentence. I probably need to ask, tell me about your life. What is it about you? What's important to you? What are your experiences growing up? How do you see this? How did you arrive at that conclusion? And when you learn to stop making statements and start asking questions, I am telling you, the world, <laughs> it opens so wide. Uh, Bill, I mean, you and I have talked about this before. I can't go anywhere now without ending up in a discussion about faith. I literally anywhere. And I don't feel afraid of it anymore because as I, you know, some of the principles I put in unquestioned answers, I don't have to, I, I don't have to. I don't have to know as much as I just have to be willing to engage and ask questions and be curious. And when I do that, it creates so much credibility. It's just, it's, it's really fun. Mm -hmm. Dr. Jeff Myers is my guest. His book is Unanswered Questions. This is one you're going to want to... Unquestioned answers. I'm sorry. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. (laughs) I I was so excited to uh, tell my listeners to uh, like order it today and uh, take action. Unanswered questions. Unquestioned answers. <laughs> I did to, it again. I go did it again. Unquestionedanswers.com, Un- and you can see the video clip there and get the first couple chapters. Unquestionedanswers.com. Yeah, because most we most people outside of the church have unanswered questions. We as Christians have to wrestle with our own unquestioned answers. Yes. Somewhere in the middle, we can meet and be the ministers for Jesus that we it's need. It's so to be. funny, Jeff. My brain didn't want to say that, but you know that's the way it works sometimes. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back with Dr. Jeff Myers. All right, during the break, I was able to talk to my therapist who told me not to go into a shame spiral for mispronouncing Jeff's book. (laughs) So (laughs) I feel better, and I'm going to try it again. Unquestioned Answers, Rethinking 10 Christian Clichés to Rediscover Biblical Truths by Dr. Jeff Myers. So, all right, Jeff. Um, Here's a big one. Another big one is um, God is good all the time, all the time God is good. You know, I went through a really tough time in my life a few years ago, and I I wrote about this in my book, Secret Battle of Ideas. But as I was in that experience, I found myself in a church 
not my home church, but the pastor stood up and very ebulliently said, God is good. And everybody in the congregation shouted back all the time. And then he said, all the time. And everyone shouted back, God is good. I sat there just collapsing into myself. I was in such a difficult spot that I knew intellectually that God is good. But I found myself looking around wondering, why are people saying this? Are they saying it because they had a good week? Are they saying it because they know they ought to? Is it just kind of a reflex call and response? Or is there something going on? And I I started to wonder at that particular moment, is there something happening here that if, if if say, a non-believer came into this church really struggling, wondering what on earth is going on, and how would they react to that? How would they feel about that? How would they sense that? And and so the problem with that proclamation, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good, is not because it's theologically suspect, but because it risks sounding naive and self-centered at the moment of the greatest cultural pain, where people cry out for the gospel's profound answers to our real deep, our really deep hurts. Um, you know, Bill, I, uh, your listeners, we've been on a few times there, and they know that I work for Summit Ministries in Colorado, and that our program is focused on equipping and supporting the rising generation to embrace God's truth and to champion the Christian worldview. So our students are coming in, usually right out of high school before they go on to their university education. I would say almost none of them have a problem believing that God is God, that God really exists. They don't question God's godness. They question God's goodness because their their experiences in their lives have left them wondering, you know, does God really, does he really care? Does he really have my interests at heart? And the, and the good news of Scripture is that he does. But that's something that a person can really only discover by walking alongside other people who are genuinely vulnerable and sincere, not people who cheerlead for their idea. So I, I don't know. I'd recommend that we set that one aside. I think that's probably going to really irk a lot of people. But I, I think we need to dig deep and see that question of God's goodness from the perspective of people who are really seeking. And, um, you know, Bill, I mean, as you go as you go through heartaches in life, it's it's only really when you're in the depths of those times that you can say, okay, now I get it. Now I understand why this might be really hard for someone to come into a church and hear glib answers to something that I know and is just killing me inside. Mm. Yeah, that's it's, it's it's a very smart and profound thought, Jeff, uh, because it's so true. I mean, I, I think of Psalm 88, where a human is crying out, I'd rather just be asleep and in darkness than to be in your company. Mm-hmm. Now, that's an incredible realization. Can you imagine being someone inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, writing that about God? Mm-hmm. 
this sets biblical belief apart from any other religion that it's that this is you know it's god's heart to walk alongside of us even when all we want to do is pound our fists into his chest right but he left that in scripture because he knows how we act when we're desperate and so many others why does the way of the wicked prosper jeremiah wrote mm-hmm. uh, david you know Psalm 13, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? When we read that, we realize, yes, this is life in a fallen world. This is real. And it doesn't upset God or irritate him. You know, he's not asking us to put a Band-Aid on it. Uh, Some religions do, by the way. There are some religions that say, sorrow, what sorrow? You know, the problem that you have with suffering is that you believe there is such a thing as suffering. But that's not how the Bible approaches it. Mm-hmm. And because God has information about our lives that we don't have, I can say God is good all the time, but I have to be careful that I don't use it in a way that is going to uh, turn people off that don't know him. Mm. You know, I, I end up in a lot of situations. I've done work in the secular world and in business as well as working in ministry. So I end up in a situation where I, I'm often with unbelievers, and they know that I'm a Christian, and some of them really relish the opportunity. To, okay, the, I'm a safe person they can ask their really tough questions of. And I was at a, a an event, and a, a man said to me, hey, look, I could never— knowing the kind of suffering that I have endured, knowing the kind of suffering that I have caused, I could never believe in God. He said, Christianity has a problem with evil. And I said, you're right. Christianity does have a problem with with evil, but, uh, you know, think this through. Every worldview has a problem with evil. Every worldview has to explain why evil exists and what ought to be done about it. And he said, okay, I'm listening. And we ended up in a fairly lengthy conversation where I shared, you know, the God's answer to the problem of pain is not a concept, not a philosophical idea. It's a person. It's Jesus in the flesh. And uh, I could see that he was really moved by this. And in fact, another businessman was walking by and he called out to him and said, hey, come over here. This Jeff Myers can, you know, ask him any question about the Bible. <laughs> and uh, the guy just pounded his fist on the table and said, what about evolution? You know, he's just kind of putting on a Southern accent and kind of making light of the moment. And we laughed, and, and, but that, and that was the end of the conversation. But it seemed really, I, I just for a moment there, I could see that this man was realizing, yes, that evil is part of the experience that we have in this world. But what we understand about Jesus is that he came as the suffering servant, and in his death, according to the Apostle Paul, he conquered death. He has removed from death its ability to destroy what is most important about us. And once we realize that about Jesus, we realize God really is good, not because things are going well for me, but because Jesus really has removed the sting of death and the grave. You know, the evil one, 
comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, Jesus said, but I have come that they might have life and have it fully. Mm-hmm. Jeff, it's so important, especially today, to be able to think clearly, but to dialogue with people that don't agree with us. And I don't think we want to be throwing cliches at them. Does that sound fair? Uh, that is fair. And, and if, if, you, if you're listening to the show right now and you say, I think that's correct and I'd like to know more, go to unquestionedanswers.com and you can learn more about the book. So it's not unanswered questions as Bill's therapist. Yes, <laughs> so, he cleared me of that, it, by the way. Right. It, it's unquestionedanswers.com. <laughs> and uh, you can find some lesson plans there as well for people who want to kind of study this with friends. Dig through and let me know what you think. If you say, I really disagree with you. I think one of these things you said is a cliche isn't, or, or I would add another one to the list or whatever. You'll find all kinds of resources yeah. at unquestionedanswers.com. Yeah. Jeff, you're just the world's best guest. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Well, it gets you. It gets you back to your therapist. Oh yeah, trust me. About book titles and all of that. And yeah, all I just see stuff. my phone blinking right now. I got to go take my call from my therapist, so I got to say goodbye <laughs> to you. Bill, great to be with great you be with again. I uh, sure love your show Thank and you. uh, love your station. Thank you so much, Dr. Jeff Myers has been my guest. Unquestioned Answers is his book, Rethinking Ten Christian Cliches to Rediscover Biblical Truths. We'll take a short break and be right back with hour two. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.